we've had a number of topics the last three weeks, and I always want to give opportunity for us to ask questions and interact. Eric was talking about uh, the author's meaning is God's meaning when we're talking about the Bible. And that's fundamental to all human communication. But before we go to that, or anything you might want to ask, I covered mysticism last week, uh, Watchman Nee, and other things like that. I want to make sure we keep moving in Acts. So we'll start with this. So the last time we were in Acts, we were in Acts 19, 8 through 10. And now I'm going to do 10 through 12. We want to move forward into the narrative. By the way, about the term narrative, when we say that, we're not saying that the Bible is merely a story. You hear people nowadays, and that gets into this other issue of the validity of human communication. Words have ranges of meaning. So if there's a debate and somebody says, that's your narrative, they're saying, that's just what you think in your mind. Now, if you see the word narrative in regard to interpreting the Bible, Luke is inspired by the Holy Spirit. He wrote Acts. And so in interpreting Luke's narrative, we're interpreting something we know is true, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And in that context, when we say narrative, we're not saying it's merely a story. In fact, in the English language, I think the word story is a little weaker than narrative in that sense. It means God inspired the biblical writers to speak. They spoke by the Holy Spirit. God cannot lie. So what happens here is true, and it comports with what we learned from history. So I want to make that clear. This took place. Now, what happened was Paul's ministry in Ephesus. This took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So the point we we're making here is that Ephesus becomes a very important place in the spread of the gospel. It's important in the Bible because Ephesus is mentioned first in Acts 18, 19, as I say here, but it's also there in the narrative of chapters 19 and 20. We have the book of Ephesians. 1 Corinthians is mentioned. Ephesus is important. Chloe's people. Uh, 1 and 2 Timothy is about Timothy and Ephesus. And this whole thing is going somewhere. Luke's Holy Spirit inspired writing of the scripture is one of the most brilliant writings that you're going to find. And when it comes to learned Greek that is found in the Bible, uh, Luke and then Hebrews would be some of the prime examples. So Acts 18-19 and so on are showing us that Ephesus is a key place. Now I'm going to make some points here and I'll quote some scholars and one of those is Tannehill and another one is Peterson and then we want to talk about why Ephesus is a key place and what's happening here. Dr. Peterson says this. The result was that all the Jews 
and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord, has rightly interpreted uh, a certain version, has rightly interpreted Asia to mean the Roman province of Asia. The word of the Lord was heard throughout the province and was widespread through widespread evangelistic activity was encouraged by Paul's ministry. Now let me talk about that for a moment. This is not claiming that every single person in this whole area, every last one of them, heard the word of the Lord. Now some critics will say, see the Bible is a lie. Because there's no way every single person in that whole province, they all heard the word of the Lord. But that is not how the language is used then or now. And I've heard examples lately so that if somebody, should history go on, look back and say, well, see, they lied. Well, there's plenty of lies, but the Bible doesn't lie. I heard someone saying, everyone in New York is moving to Florida. Have you heard that lately? (laughs) No, whoever said that is not authorial intent. That's what Eric was talking about. Anyone saying that is saying a significant number of people in New York don't like what's going on. They moved to Florida because it's a better situation for them. I've heard others statement. Now, no one, despite the fact that some would dispute why that's happening, the claim isn't that New York City is now empty because they're all in Florida. (laughs) Nor is Luke telling us that there wasn't anybody anywhere that didn't hear it. This, what the critics do and what the atheists and humanists do is try to make language say what it's not trying to say anyhow. So what was Luke's intent so that the area was evangelized and synagogues, Greeks, public forums, we've covered that. So we're not claiming that this is every single person who ever happened to live there. And so this would be that the evangelization of that area happened. Now, what we want to warn against is making distinctions when there aren't really distinctions. Paul's ministry uh, continually was in synagogues, public forums, Jews, Greeks, whoever would hear. Significant people were ones that were used. Lydia, for example, in Philippi. Is that correct? I think she was in Philippi. So this is in keeping with the prophecies that were given given earlier in Luke. So if you want to really understand Luke X, look at the reviews and the previews and the things that are going to happen. And so in Luke X, two-volume work, what is happening is that Jerusalem is the place that rejects the prophets. Okay? So in Luke, from Luke 9.51 all the way to the entry into Jerusalem, there is this long chiastic structure centered in Luke 13 where one thing after another happens and some people are saved and some people welcome the truth and others reject it. But Jerusalem rejected Messiah. Not totally, not every person, but that's what happened. 
So what's happening here in this part of, of the story, narrative of Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is that this echo is going to happen again in Paul's ministry. Despite the fact that there were so much resistance, Paul was determined to go to Jerusalem. And we see that with the Agabus um, warning and so on, but he's still going to go. I'll try to bring it out as we go along. And we're going to look at how these reviews and previews work. Let me skip a little bit to Tannehill. He said this, what follows is not an exclusively Gentile mission. Jews cannot be addressed as an assembly, but they can still be addressed as part of the public that Paul encounters in his work. The narrator, Luke, emphasizes that Paul's mission in Ephesus was a was comprehensive and inclusive for all the inhabitants of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. 1910, we're looking at that. This is important. Some people have said Paul was only supposed to preach to Gentiles. He wouldn't preach to Jews. False. Some have said there's a different gospel for the Jews than there is for Gentiles. False. Some have said God gave up on the Jews. The church replaces Israel. But that's not what Luke is saying. Read Acts 1, um, 1 through 8. The the rejection of Messiah fulfills scriptures that says that Messiah is coming to fulfill the role of the suffering servant, the one who dies for sins, and who is also rejected. But that doesn't end the story because he's still coming back and there's a future for Israel. And that's found in, I believe, Acts 1, 7, and 8. So as we go through that, keep that big picture in mind. So nearly all of Asia. Let me continue with this. The strong statement about the scope of Paul's mission in 910 is supported in 1926, for Paul's enemy, Demetrius, testifies to his influence in nearly all of Asia. So the enemies say that this has been turning the world up. This is making, making problems for the province. Moreover, says Tanhill, the phrase Jews and Greeks, and then he cites that in Greek, is a formula used repeatedly in connection with the mission in Ephesus and used only there of preaching outside the synagogue. It also occurs in 14.1, 18.4, and so on. So the point is, this is exactly what Jesus commanded the disciples to do. You will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, a couple of weeks, whenever I was teaching, remember when we cited Acts 23, 11? What week was that? Where the Lord himself stood by Paul's side and said, you must testify in Rome. If someone would look that up again, because some of you may not have been here, that would be Acts 23, 11. It's amazing how this all fits together. When Paul testified before 
Agrippa II, he said that the Lord who appeared to him at his conversion is also the one who said, and I will appear to you. So what does it say? Let's get this dialed in. We haven't used it. Uh, go ahead, whoever. Go ahead, Go for it. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Isn't that something? Now, in some Bibles, that's red letters. Yeah. 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 Look at that. (laughs) If you if you can see red letters, yeah, some people read some of the red letters, but uh, there it shows the Lord Himself again appeared to Paul, stood by his side and say, you must, day, remember that word? Which in Luke Acts means by divine necessity testify in Rome. So Paul wasn't failing to listen to God when they warned him they'd be, he'd be arrested on the way to Jerusalem. Because that's what must happen. Rome was what, the key to the ends of the earth. And the Lord himself stood by Paul's side. So we're, I got to keep moving forward at least a few verses so we get to, through 19 into 20, 21. This just makes more sense all the time. So this is what God said would happen. And it doesn't mean that there'll be universal acceptance. That's just the opposite of what happens. There's reject rejection. The message as we're seeing in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, is offensive to Jews and Gentiles. The message of crucified Messiah is an offense. Foolishness to the Greeks, offense to the Jews, but to those who believe, it's the power of God. And it's so essential that we get the word of God correct, that we preach it accurately, because Eric and I have seen so much havoc over the years when people change what it's saying or don't understand it. Uh, Eric ran into someone who, and you mentioned this, that Paul, we don't have to listen to Paul. I ran into another situation where they said, you don't have to listen to Jesus. That was just for the Jews. So the only thing that matters is what Luke, who's inspired by the Holy Spirit, told us. Why should we believe Luke? He's right again and again and again and again. And we know that God cannot lie. And this is inspired scripture. So the Lord said, you must testify in Rome. Well, how did he get to Rome? There's where the doctrine of providence comes in. Honestly. Don't forget Genesis 50 and verse 20. Don't forget Acts 2, 23 through 25. God's purposes includes evil acts of evil people that he allows for greater good. And so Joseph knew that when he said, uh, look up, who has the, you got the whole, your whole, somebody look up Genesis 50 verse 20. Uh, Right now in, in the world we live in, I think the whole world, but certainly in United States and elsewhere, there's so much evil, so much chaos, so much sorrow. But 
the Lord has promises that we will have tribulation in this world, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. That's a proleptic statement. Go ahead. This is in regards to Joseph and his brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. And what was preserved alive through the narrative of Joseph? How could Joseph say that? Yeah, Joseph, was he treated rightly by his brothers? Was he treated shamefully? Yes. So how was he able to look back and say, don't be angry with yourself. God caused this outcome. Remember one time he had to hide from them so he wouldn't cry in front of them? If it weren't for the doctrine of providence, our sorrows would be so much worse. Because then the suffering we're going through and the things that are happening would seem to be just what do what some critics say, gratuitous evil? But God has a purpose to save many people alive. Joseph's experience led to the keeping of the promise that the people would come out that was given back before Joseph. So my word of encouragement is that this world is indeed sinful and fallen. And for Christians to trust God and walk in faith is going to be for our good, but not without a lot of sorrow. And the sorrows are real. And Paul's sorrows were real. And his fear and trembling was real. He said that in Corinth about the Corinthians. And we're not belittling the suffering that people are going through, but if it weren't for the promises of God, if it weren't for our eternal hope, if it weren't for the fact that God does use these things to bring about salvation, and if it weren't for the fact that I don't know exactly how that'll work, I don't know who's going to come to faith, I don't know who will be saved, but I know that God is still allowing history to go on because there are more to be saved. Okay, are we, are we good? Okay, let's go to the next slide. If I get to another slide, it'll be a really good day. Wait, wait, wait. We'll keep yeah, it up. Yeah, I, got, I don't know if this is a good application or not, but I've thought, in fact, when I was first really struggling with coming to faith at all, you know, the, we're talking about God's providence here. Those early Christians that suffered such incredible persecution, you know, uh, all of the early uh, the apostles and and just all you know, all, we we all know the the terrible persecution. And what occurred to me, and this is while I was wrestling with whether I could believe in in uh, Jesus Christ, and it was I was wrestling with all it. And it, to me, it was a testimony that uh, that these people, the the Holy Spirit must have been with them. You know, they, they, they got strength. They, they were willing to go to the death because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They did not waver. I'm sure that they felt frightened. They may have wondered, why is God allowing this to happen? But now, 2,000 years later, I look at it and I say, God allowed that to happen as a testimony to, first of all, to me, for one, and probably many, many others. So I don't know if that would fall into God's providential will. Well, actually, providence covers everything. Uh, 
the critical issues, we have a commentary on the doctrine of providence. And what we explore is whether all things statements are, lit are literal. And in the context where you find them, it is literal. And the reason it's comforting to believers is that the sort of trials that we're going through even now give us hope. And that doesn't mean that evil is not real. It doesn't imply anything other than God is bringing us through to glory. Nor does it apply, imply universalism. We need to understand what the author means. I made a statement, I think, last week. I'll reiterate it. What is more powerful than the Holy Spirit inspired the inerrant scripture that stands the test of scrutiny, however you want to look at it, historically true, true to the events that are mentioned, the people that are mentioned. And not only that, those who on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out and the word of God is preached and it goes through areas where there was fierce rejection. If we believe as we are those who are filled with the spirit by God's grace, nothing's more powerful than the word of God. And the, what's more powerful than the only thing that has power is the word of God taught correctly. The word of God twisted by cults is damning. Okay? And there's so many various cults that have done so. And then misapplications and so on. So the better we understand what God said, the more it will help us in these days. And it's, uh, what does it say? Blessed is a person who perseveres under trial for when he is perfected, he'll receive the crown of life. Somebody can look that up. I'm going by fairly decent memory, but not exact. Maybe fairly decent is a little strong. <laughs> oh, I thought, here's one that I know is, I looked up the other day. We are in the race for an imperishable race. Remember, wreath. They are running for a perishable one. Right? That's in First Corinthians 9, toward the end of the chapter. So, if you don't believe the eternal hope that God has, the forgiveness of sins, eternity, literal fulfillment of prophecy, and so forth, then our hope is only in this world. And as this world falls apart, our hope starts going down. But that can't be for us. Because we're running to receive an imperishable wreath. Go ahead. If I may interject, one of the things that has always blown me away is in the book of uh, Daniel, the uh, angel Gabriel gives the 70-week prophecy to Daniel. And after he does the 70 weeks, he talks about the days till Jesus, the Messiah, will enter 
into mm-hmm. Jerusalem. And then when you advance into the New Testament, you see Jesus on at least a few occasions tell the apostles, no, my time has not yet come. It has not yet come. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, go before me and ready the uh, mule and he's going to make his triumphant entry. Well, the prophecy that Gabriel gave to Daniel to the day was fulfilled based yes. on the 360-day Jewish calendar. Yes, let me uh, cite a reference for that. Harold Holner, the chronological, chronological aspects of the life of Christ. Harold Holner did some great work on that. And here's why I won't adopt replacement theology because the 70th week is still yet coming. The length of time between the 69th week and the 70th, no one knows. And should the Lord tarry, as they used to say, I know not everybody has the same eschatology, we don't know how long the church age goes. All right? So in that time period, we know what we're to do preach the gospel everywhere we go, nurture the saints, feed the flock. And the thing that we have to know, how is it that any of us are going to grow, have the strength to endure whatever happens, deal with adversities, keep believing, have the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, long suffering, and so on, is when the, I believe this with all my heart because I did it wrong for so many years. If you put out pure spiritual food, which is the word of God, those who believe will always be comforted. They'll always have hope. They'll always grow. And the less accurate the teaching of the word is, the more confused we become. And there's so much confusion because of not spending enough time studying, making sure that this is what God said. And I've had to be corrected many times, but the only correction we can get is from holding ourselves to account to the Word of God. i got to get to another slide, and we want to talk about some things. Now, here's the, the next two verses, and we're going to get into a section where the similar things happen to what happened in Luke. That'll help us. Because whenever God is doing miracles, the word there is for work of power, there's also pushback. And there are interactions. And here we're getting toward the sons of Sceva, which most people know about. And we need to find out what's the point and what does this have to do with Bible prophecy in the earlier part of Luke and what is the fulfillment and where is this going and ultimately we have to ask how do we know what the true thing is and we'll see that as we go forward now here it's talking about extraordinary miracles Acts 19 11 through 12 God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul stop right there who perform the miracles through what means hands of Paul so the direct cause is God so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body 
to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. The word for miracles is dunamis, power, diseases, nasas, which is also used elsewhere. There are other words like asthenia, which means weaknesses, and so forth. Now, it's not to be doubted. This is exactly what happened. Now, in our time, sometimes we have people charging for I've seen have you ever seen evangelists with a pile of hankies and pray over them anoint them send your donation and they go out and then um, it's amazing some of the claims but the thing is none of these people fit the qualification of an apostle who saw the Lord was appointed by the Lord himself and so on we've taught a lot about that but that's not to doubt what happens. And that is not to doubt that God heals people today. But what good would it be if all you were were healed and then you die and you don't even know Christ and you're lost? So we need to get the narrative that God inspired understood correctly. Now, Dr. Schnabel, interesting commentary that I've got recently. Um, I think he has a lot of good readings. I always start with the Greek to make sure I get that up to snuff and then see how how we can better understand this. He says this, Luke begins with another summary statement about extraordinary miracles, plural of the word dunamis, power. And then there's an unusual word that they're translating for extraordinary miracles. Luke clarifies such stable that the miracles were not performed by Paul, but by God, whose power worked through Paul. And and it talks about hands and so on, through the hands of Paul. He cites the Greek. In the context of the role of miracles that Luke reports for Jesus, for Peter, it is certainly correct, says Schnabel, that these extraordinary miracles authenticate Paul's preaching as God's work but Luke does not emphasize this aspect. While Paul regarded miracles as an authenticating sign of his apostleship, then that's uh, referencing Romans 15, 18, and 19. Someone looked that up, Romans 15, 18, and 19. And then 2 Corinthians 12, 12, I'll just allude to that. That's where, remember the thorn in the flesh narrative? And the Lord, Paul sought the Lord to remove it. And, and so on. That's in 2 Corinthians 12. But look up Romans 15, 18, and 19. He knew that miracles such stable by themselves do not convince unbelievers of the truth of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1, 22-23. I preached on that recently. Rather, it is only the power of God who works in and through the pro- proclamation of Jesus as the crucified Messiah and Savior. And then he cites 1 Corinthians 1, 24, 25. I've preached through that recently. If Christ is preached, if the truth about who Jesus is, what he did, why we need him, why he came, what's the significance of his death, was he really raised on the third day? 
and we get that right, and we get the Trinity right, and the doctrine of God right, and in that context, God does many things. Then we know it's the truth. But sometimes there are fake and fraud, too. That verse you just read, I would say that's a good verse for the doctrine of election. Go ahead and read it. Because, well, I don't have the verse in front of me, but I just heard you say it. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Romans 15, 18 and 19. Well, that would be because uh, if, if miracles are a work of the Lord, and if salvation is considered a miracle, which I believe it is, then therefore the uh, conversion is a work of the Lord. So that would negate any uh, non-doctrine of election view. I know for some of us it's more obvious than others because I was a hostile enemy when God converted me. I used a little Eric logic there. If you see what, I was, yeah. see what I was doing? Yeah. Oh, okay. Go ahead. The only, the, the, you know what comforts me? I don't know who the elect are, so we got to preach to everybody. Go ahead. Whoa, is it on? What was the one from 1 2 Corinthians 12. 12, 1 Corinthians 1, 22, 23, and so on. Go ahead, Eric. Look at He's got his glasses. Yeah, that's right. I can see. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and around about as far as Lyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Fully preached. I looked that one up in the Greek because I've heard people take that term and change it. Um, I printed it somewhere here. Typical. I got too many papers. The word fully preached is about the extent of gospel preaching. It's not suggesting that if you didn't do a miracle, you're not full gospel. I've heard that uh, term. Uh, when I was in the North Central Bible Colleges and the Pentecostals who brought me to the Lord, the term full gospel often meant that if you haven't, whatever the second blessing was, it might be entire sanctification, it might be physical healing, it might be certain gifts, or it might be speaking in tongues. So you have partial gospel and then full gospel. But in fact, there's only one gospel And those who believe the gospel are fully Christian. And God does signs, miracles, changing lives as he wills by his grace through whoever he calls. That doesn't negate the miraculous working of God, but accentuates the gospel, not saying that you have to have these signs. And if they don't show up, then you have to figure out a way to make them show up. And that's kind of what happened in some cases. Someone, I saw somebody, if you wake up way too early, you see the real weird preachers. (laughs) And I, I, the other day I woke up and there was a guy who was so abusive and was 
saying no, the testimonials. I sent so much money to this preacher, and then, what do you know, my debt was forgiven by some agency or something like that. And I remember the name of the guy, and I mentioned it to someone. I think I mentioned it to Ron here. And it turned out to be this guy who had already been exposed for having a plant in the men's room, and he would go around and say, well, who are you? Where are you from? Why are you here? And then that would be given to the preacher. And the preacher would say, I got a word of knowledge. You, you're from whatever it was. And then they get the guy up and say, ah, did I, do I know you? And so this was exposed by, I can't remember. Was that Popoff? Popoff. Peter Popoff. Well, so after the exposure, he was discredited for claiming words of knowledge. Well, now he's on at three in the morning, still doing it and telling people, send me your money. You'll get your miracle. Weird. Go ahead. So back to my point earlier, and this will be encouragement for uh, the uh, evangelism team and people that witness to people whether it be in your work area or whoever you run into, that the fact of the matter is you actually are being used by God in a miracle because yeah. you had the messenger role. And so right. rather than somebody's leg being healed or getting up out of a wheelchair, you've gone from the lesser to the greater eternal life. As a matter of fact, the doctrine of providence is so unbelievable other than it's clear for those who see what God does, how could the entire universe be what it is? How could it be that planet Earth is suitable for human life? When I declare, what is the psalm? When I, what is it again? The, the glory of God, perceive when I observe what is man that you're mindful of him? What is man? Why, why is it like this? Why hasn't a mediator, meteor come or asteroid? Bruce Willis can't stop that from happening, by the way. <laughs> and here comes an asteroid. No more life on Earth. Why not? But God is keeping us, and, and he created this for his glory. So one of the important things is to give God the glory that we can even live and breathe and praise him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're trying so hard to get through this, and so I don't want to take too long, but yesterday on the evangelism team, I spoke to a gal, and I like to ask people, do you have any spiritual beliefs, you know? And she said, yeah, I believe that there's a God, but, you know, it doesn't matter about Christians or Muslims, you know, she's just pretty wide open, you know, kind of universal. I believe there's a God, but... And I said, well, I asked her a few other questions, and it turned out, okay, so I said to her, I've got some literature here, which I've prepared some things about where we got the Bible and why Jesus Christ had to die for our sins. So I said, you know, I struggled with this stuff for many, many years, these questions. And so I like to give this stuff out. And she said, you know, I got up today, and I was feeling kind of sorrowful. And she said, I actually read a little bit in the Old Testament, and, and I don't really understand any of it, you know. And so... In other words, she had already been thinking about some things that day, 
And here I walk up to her with some things, and she was very, very happy to get the information. And I invited her if she wants to call us or get into a Bible study. So, and who knows if she will. But we really do see uh, God's providence at work. We really do see that. Yes, yes. and uh, let me tell a, a story in that to that end. I, well, I worked night shift during the summer, and my, when I was at Iowa State, I'd been a junior for a quarter. It was a quarter system. I was going back. And my biggest problem, even though I believed that God created based on organic chemistry and the heme molecule, I knew God created us. That was obvious. My biggest problem was that my fiance had become a Christian. And I was really angry. And I was, it was, it was really bad. And so, it was going to be over a weekend. And so the last time I was at work, I was just going off and all these bad things, horrible. And so then the next time I went back to work, I'd become a Christian. Amen. By God's, it was a miracle, a total miracle. I had no intention. I mean, they all are. But here's what happened. I didn't know what to say. So I just went there and started sewing feed sacks shut. I didn't say anything because I now I'm saved. I have no idea how to be an evangelist. So I didn't say anything, and they could tell I wasn't cussing. And so I just sew feeds, just doing it. And they're stacking them. And uh, finally, break time came, and we'd go up to the break room the end of the day, the day shift would come. And they were all looking at me because I said I was going to, what all I was going to do. And they said, what happened? I said, this is what I said. I accepted Christ. I found out later he converted me. <laughs> but, but I did. That's how, that's how it was said. And those guys sat there because they saw me. And they were looking at me. What are you, one of them uh, said, what are you studying for? I said, chemical engineering. He looked at me and said, well, maybe you should be a preacher. <laughs> I said, unbeliever. But that wasn't the end of it. So we sat there, and I didn't know what else to say. We were having our coffee and getting ready for the day shift. And here comes a guy, kind of a eccentric guy that lived not that far from the farm I grew up on. I remember his name now, but he, he, he comes in, coming in with his lunch pocket, and he comes up the stairs. He hadn't heard anything we'd talked about. He got there a little later. Those guys were trying to figure out what happened to me. And this guy stops, and he looks at me. He says, Bob, what happened to you? You have the Lord all over your face. I, I'll never forget that. Those guys were going home. Oh, yeah. Now, well, I think what he saw was that the anger, the darkness, the hostility wasn't, I didn't look the same to him. Now, that's not a sign of regeneration. There are, happy, there are actors that can be just like that and then play a role of some mean, nasty person, and they can do all of it. I wasn't acting. God did it, and I didn't even know I looked happy. Um, those guys really got nervous. 
But the Lord works however he works. We don't know it just because certain things happen. We know it because Jesus Christ is preached, the truth is preached, and we cling to him. Yes. Yeah, I love that story that you tell that you're in the backyard of your girlfriend's house, and you were really mad that she became a Christian. She was on some Christian retreat, and you were going over a verse, and you're like, where is that found? And then your eyes were immediately open, as I remember you telling the story from 50 years hence, and your eyes became opened, and you knew you were a sinner going to hell that, immediately. In, in, a, in a second. And the thing that, honestly, this was a process, by the way, because I had been taken to a conservative Baptist church, and they knew when I came that I trusted science, so the pastor preached a, a sermon against science. So I thought, so I'm going to become a Christian because the pastor thinks science is evil. That didn't, you know, that didn't do any good, although in this case, she would say, well, they were saying, the preacher was saying that in Revelation it says the rivers will turn to blood. And that was one of the verses. And I said, well, I'd never, I've been, to, I went, I got a pin, I've been to Sunday school for a whole year one time without missing things my parents taking me. And I don't believe it's in the Bible. And we didn't have a Bible out there. She went in, got one, and, if, and two or three times it fell open to the page. Oh, here it is. No bookmarks, no nothing. The rivers are going to turn to blood. I had never, ever seen it. How many pages of the Bible say that? That's the moment I knew that Jesus Christ is real. I knew that this was the truth. I knew that God had... If I didn't turn to God, I knew I was going to hell. I just knew it in a second. And um, that's a miracle. Do I deserve that? No. After all my blaspheme and wickedness, I didn't deserve anything. And I was so cowardly, I just sowed sacks of feed until I figured out those guys noticed anything and then they asked me and I had to tell them and the other guy said oh look at that the Lord's all over your face that helped with the boldness the fact is dear ones it's a miracle that we're still alive on the earth it's a miracle that anybody believes and God uses means and I showed a slide one time recently that Antichrist will deceive through supernatural signs. And some of the same terms are used side by side, parousia, signs, want powers. So the way we discern the difference, the world will be deceived by false signs, just like Pharaoh and so on. And these ones will be supernaturally wicked. Sons of Sceva we're powerless, but it's a preview. The wicked signs will deceive. The sign that God has provided by which the entire world is held into account for sin is the sign of Jonah. Eric preached on that. That the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth. And then, remember, the, did you recently preach on a three day sign? Yeah. And so when he's risen from the dead. And so you can say, 
well, somebody will do this, or if somebody will do that, then I'll believe. I just decided I'm not going to believe. No. God had a different idea. And there were guards in Matthew that knew better than any of us physically that it happened, and they took money to lie about it. Why would anybody do that? Because the sin nature, the hard heart, the rebellion, the darkness is the one thing that there's universal evidence for that everybody can see. Somebody says the whole world is evolving spiritually into a better place if we just get with the plan. Is there any evidence for that? Zero. Zero. This, this is so obvious. In our own lifetime, we can look and somebody says, here's a peaceful protest and it's burning down buildings. Okay. Uh, uh, if a burned down building is peace, and that's nothing compared to when real judgment comes. But we cannot create the kingdom in this world by telling people that they change their thinking or belief or whatever about spiritual and moral evolution. We need to look at the sign God has given. Now, there's some reviews here. I want to show quickly, I'll just, it's on this. We got a little bit of time. By the way, whatever we, questions you have that has that Eric has brought up about validity, I have material to discuss anything we've said in the last three or four Sunday schools. So I, I feel like I need to get through this to show you how Luke brilliantly lays out Luke X. Look what happens here to show that Paul is one who is in the same line of people that God has sent. Now, what about these words dunamis and nasos for power diseases? And so this is a review of a previous thing that happened when Jesus did this. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place and there was a large crowd of his disciples and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem in the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him to be healed of their diseases and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured and all the people were trying to touch him for power was coming from him and healing them all. And here's our same two words in the Greek, which if you were to never heard of Luke Acts and you read it for the first time and you're reading Luke and you're a perceptive reader, later you get to Acts. Oh yeah, Jesus sent people out. He is the ultimate one. And he's the one that we should believe in. So here's our same words as a preview. Now, so Jesus did this himself. And then he sent out the disciples. And there's much we can say about that. And then we see another instance of similar thing. Acts 5, 12a, 15, and 16. This is in Acts 5 before the event here with Paul. And it says here, at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. 
to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also the people from the cities and in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were being healed. And so this is not the first time. We have the preview. Jesus, the unique one, go ahead. Jesus told the disciples that they would do greater miracles than him. And although we don't... That's in John. Yeah, right. A much misinterpreted passage, by the way. But still yet, even though we don't see in the word where Jesus is doing like shadows falling on people and and them being healed. We see similar things. Yes, similar things. But here, I mean, this is pretty dynamic that people are just coming out on the streets and pallets. So what what then would you say did Jesus mean by you will be doing? Well, that's we don't want to use. Let me talk about John. These things you will do and greater things. These things would be the miracles. That there would be some of them. The greater things are that passage is like John 3.16 in the New Apostolic Reformation. Okay? Because uh, C. Peter Wagner and the followers of him are saying that throughout church history, the church has failed. And that greater apostles and prophets are going to come. And until we're doing greater miracles than any we read in the Bible or that even Jesus did, then we haven't got to where we need to be. And I have evidence for that teaching. I've documented it. I've written about it. It's so abusive. It's horribly, utterly abusive. And there are people who literally deny the deity of Christ and then tell us that we failed if we don't do greater miracles than Jesus. It's not saying here that they learned how to do miracles. God did it through Paul. Paul saw the resurrected Christ who was appointed to him. Eric and I have spent a long time going over and over this. Paul was the last of the apostles appointed by Christ. The rest of these people making the claims are false prophets. And when you dig down deep, they have a faulty Christology again and again. And it discredits what the Bible is saying when people abuse it. And should the Lord give me the years to do it, I want to get into 1 Corinthians 12 and show that even the fact that we need one another and have different gifts has been taken. Let me give you one example. I got a call from a CIC reader who said, um, I think one of the several people read an article I wrote and, and said, someone told me that I'm cursed and I'm under ancestral curse of third and fourth generations because somebody had a word of knowledge that the reason I'm like I am is because of a curse. And so then a prophet gets a word of knowledge that some great aunt somewhere practiced the occult, and that's why you're cursed. So I always ask the same question. I'm going to get Peter to 
we got to go. Okay, here's the thing. Does Paul say the purpose for the word of knowledge is to identify what curse a believer's under so that a prophet can tell you your super great aunt on somebody's side, third, fourth generation, practice occult, now you're cursed. And I said, are you trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Are you in Christ? Yes. What does the Bible say about how you know you're blessed? Blessed is the man, generic person, who trusts in God. Ephesians 1.3, who has blessed us with every blessing in the heavenly places. So when Paul said one has a word of knowledge, does it mean they got a revelation about what curse you're under? If Remember Balaam? Balaam was a wicked guy. He's mentioned in the Bible. He tried to curse Israel, and it didn't work. And he got paid a lot of money to be a good one at cursing people. Why didn't it work? He's blessed. I cannot reverse it. If God has blessed you, don't give your money to a false prophet to find out why you're cursed when you're blessed anyhow. And if you don't know Jesus and you're not saved, you don't know Christ, you're already under a curse. And if the curse breaker makes your life better, you're more deceived than you were before. Because now you don't think you need Christ. You need a prophet to break a curse. It's simple. Blessed is the person who trusts in God. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Simple. If it's too complex then you don't understand it well. Peter, I promise. Go ahead. I guess I was a little confused because you spent a little bit of time saying what it wasn't. Is that what it is? What, what, is, what you just said about greater. The greater works are the fact that God, that Jesus, we have to take that into context of the sending of the apostles. And so when, now we're talking about John. The greater works are mentioned in Luke Acts but he did works like those. The works like these are done. The greater works in John, if we look later, what did Jesus say to Peter at the end of John? Anybody remember? Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. I have many who are not of this fold. They must also come. The greater works is that while Jesus is hears us, he answers us, we have access to the throne of grace, God uses ordinary people to bring the gospel to places where it wasn't, he does whatever works he does according to his will, and those who are converted, those who are taken care of, are God's work of fulfilling everything that happens during the church age, that's how I understand that. And it's not through false prophets. If you give a false prophecy and you say, thus saith the Lord, this is going to happen, and it doesn't, that means no one should ever listen to you again until you repent. Go ahead. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if I got this verse right or not, but I think when Jesus says, greater works than these ye shall do, because I go to the Father which to me is like sandwiched together with the fact that when he went to the Father, that's when he sent the Holy Spirit. 
It's like we don't we don't do the greater works until he's gone to the Father and we've received the Spirit and we've been born again. I, I the born the these works shall you do, and greater because I go to the Father. So these works would be miracles that God did, and I'm not saying that God doesn't do miracles. He did, does. The greater. Because he went to the Father. And, has, and the Spirit has come. Not just because he went up there, because he sent the Spirit. Right, and he promised to come again. And live inside of, of those who... Yeah, those who believed. I do believe that. I believe the church age begins at the, on the day of Pentecost. This is that prophesied by Joel. One more slide while we went over. Blessed are you when men hate you. By the way, did the, did the TV preacher promise... If you send him money, men will start hating you, and now you'd be worth spending the money. No, no, they say, claim your healing. They don't say, well, listen to me, some of your money will be hated. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Messiah, Daniel 7. And so that's in Luke. Now, did this get fulfilled in action? Learn how to read Luke Acts. But the high priest, Acts 5, 17 and 18, the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy and they laid hands on the apostles and put them in public jail. Luke's point is this happened. That doesn't mean God didn't do miracles. They got out of jail and so on. So what's the role of the church? To preach Christ, to believe in him, to show loving kindness and compassion. God still does miracles according to his will. But you can't tell people you don't do miracles because you are miserable failures. And if you just did something different, more miracles would happen. I've seen so much abuse and harm. God still does what he wills through whom he wills. But any man teaching a false Jesus is accursed no matter what happens. That's the Antichrist spirit. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we can honor all who uh, we've known and honor kings and those who are in authority even though we know they're evil many times we honor mothers as we think about that today but in the meantime as we're living in this wicked world we pray that you would use us that people be converted that the truth would be taught that we be firm in the faith and that we care for one another and that no matter what happens we're going to put our hope and trust in you and you alone and we thank you Lord in Jesus name Amen.